morning, but on Wednesday night, you guys are important, and maybe the Lord is calling one of you to teach in Sunday school, and that's where I began in 1980. I ran the Sunday school over at the YMCA, and uh, let's see, Harold and Sarah were there. Who else was there in 1980 that are in the room? I think it was only Harold and Sarah. Oh, Phil Lopez, that's right, Phil was there. So there was, there was and Esther, so five of us were there back in the... But it was, it was really neat. We had um, children's ministry in the shower room at the YMCA because the kids were in other rooms. And so we were using, we were doing Porta Church, Calvary Chapel. And so I would bring all the kids in and play my guitar, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, and whatever, these songs. And in the shower, you know, you sing in the shower, right? We had worship in the shower. It was a lot of fun. Um, so if, you, if you're called, if, if God speaks to you, hey, respond. Go talk to Pastor John. We, we really do uh, love our children, and, and that's a ministry that is so valuable, and I would encourage you to be a part of that. Tonight, before we start our study, I want to just take a moment to let you know what's going on. There's uh, several people in our fellowship that are really sick and needing your prayer, and I'm just going to name these people and their issues, and then I'm going to pray uh, over them, but I want you to if you want to write their names down, if you're not on the prayer chain, uh, you need to know these people because they really, really do need their prayer, your prayer. And we're going to begin with Augie uh, Oyola's daughter, Angela. Um, Augie is an elder here. Augie runs the fire squad. Augie teaches in junior high school. Augie, you don't see him a lot because he's doing all these other things, but Augie's daughter has lost about 20 pounds this month. She hasn't been in school. She's got migraines and a Real bad stomach ache. They don't know what it is. She's going to see a neurologist soon. But Angela, Oyola, and their family, Anne-Marie and, and the rest of the family, they, they need our prayers. We need to stand with them in prayer. Miss Abby, she's at home recuperating. She so desperately wants to come to church. I saw her a couple of weeks ago. And when you go to see Miss Abby, you don't go for five minutes. I was there for about two and a half hours and so enjoyed every moment. Uh, but she really needs our prayer. She wants to come back to church, but she's very, very weak, struggling just to, uh, to uh, get up for moments of time. She can shuffle to the, to the uh, restroom or the kitchen, but she has a hard time standing, so we need to pray for Miss Abby. Lily Romero, I think she's probably watching right now on the Internet. Her and her husband uh, watch us every Wednesday night, but uh, she's continuing to recover from a stroke she had several years ago. Um, a really massive stroke, and uh, she's doing very well, but we need to continue to pray for her. Pastor Sergio, uh, Pastor Sergio, who is an elder, and he pastors the Spanish ministry on Thursday night. Uh, as you know, he had cancer, leukemia. He's gone through eight chemo treatments, but he's also got some other issues right now. He's got pneumonia. He's in the hospital right now with pneumonia. He had uh, medication this week, and uh, Monday he had a very, 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 very slight heart attack. So he's really struggling. He's, he's at Kaiser right now. We need to pray for Pastor Sergio as well. And then uh, Rowan Holloman uh, is doing better. Is Rowan here tonight? No. Uh, but Rowan and Tom, they've been part of our church for a couple of years, and she's struggling physically too. So all these people really need our prayer. I know there's more. These are the ones that I have on my list right now. Uh, but let's take a moment before we get into the word and just go before the Lord and intercede on their behalf. Father, we just thank you for the, the power, your power to heal 
and, and just the ability to come and to ask of you directly, not through uh, any kind of uh, mediator, but, but that veil of the temple is completely open and we have access to you and you call us to come. And so we ask tonight for Angela Oyola, uh, this young 16-year-old who is struggling physically and, we, and they're, they're unsure, Lord, but you know, you know. And we ask on behalf of the family and, and our sister in Christ, Lord, that you would intervene and touch her body, that you would bring healing and wholeness and help Anne-Marie, Lord, and, and Augie as they deal with their family and ministry and jobs and, and, and just so busy. We pray, God, that you would bless them and help them. And for Miss Abby, Lord, we love so dearly and miss so much. And uh, believe, God, that you have her life in your hands. We pray that you would strengthen her, that she might come and fellowship with the body that she loves so much. Touch her body, Lord. And Lily Romero, the continued healing and more mobility, Lord. Thank you for Victor. Thank you for his loving care of his bride. Lord, bless the Romero family. Help them, we pray. And for Pastor Sergio and Damaris and we pray, God, that as uh, Sergio really goes through a very, very difficult and dangerous time in his life where he's been threatened with cancer and, and endured the, the uh, uh, chemo treatments. And, and we pray, Lord, that there would, if there's a possibility that he would have bone, bone marrow transplant, that the medicine in his body would work in new ways, even tonight, Lord, but by your power that you would cleanse his body, Lord, touch him. And Lord, during this time where he, he honestly has the peaks and valleys of, of fear and victory, we pray, God, that you would give him assurance, that you would touch him emotionally, that you would help him through this very difficult time. He and his wife, Lord, bless them. And we pray, Lord, for Roanne Holloman that you would continue to work in her body as well. And Lord, there are others. There are others that we're mentioning that even now, I'm sure that they're on the lips of the saints here in the sanctuary tonight. Lord, we pray for them. We believe, God, that you have a purpose for every trial, that, that you know when we lose one hair on our head, you understand and, and you are sympathetic and empathetic and, and you know what we need. And I pray, Father, for husbands and wives, for families and loved ones, Lord, that we would surround them and encourage them, that they would sense your presence tonight, that they would sense your power and that they would know your touch. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So keep those uh, loved ones in your prayers. If you want a list of them, I have them right here in my pulpit. You can get them later. But let's open our Bibles this evening and continue our Bible study in Exodus. We're in chapter 15. This is a wonderful story. Uh, it's the victory song that is sung by the Israelites. Some two million of them have been delivered. They've been redeemed. The story of redemption is what this account is, and, and we're to read it, and we're to learn from it. There's positive and negative things that we learn from this story, but uh, this chapter that we're going to look at is primarily a song. It's a song of praise. It's a, a song of, uh, 
of what God has done. And, and so the, the people, Moses, has written this song. And so all the people in the nation are singing the song. It reminds me of what we do when we gather together to sing and praise before our services. And for many years, you know, hymns were the standard hymns. We sang hymns. They're just praise songs. It's praising the Lord. We do the same thing. Choruses or hymns. Uh, there's modern hymns as well as the old hymns that we grew up on. A mighty fortress is our God. Uh, you know, uh, Amazing Grace and many other songs that we grew up with singing those songs. But uh, this is a song of praise to our God. And you should know this. Worship is not optional for you as a Christian. You're not, you're not invited to do it if you feel like it. You are to do it because God is worthy. And even if you have not a voice or can carry a tune, you can make a joyful noise to the Lord. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Notice behind me on the screen. Don't be drunk with wine, whereas in dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing and praising is who we are. The Christian faith is a singing faith. And it's grounded and founded in praising and honoring and worshiping the Lord. And here in chapter 15, we get the lyrics of a wonderful song of redemption. These people have been redeemed. They've been taken out of their, their bondage. And so I've entitled this message, The Song of the Sea. And it really focuses on God's miraculous power to divide the Red Sea and you'll recall last week, remember, the children of Israel were led by a nightlight on one side. It was dark on the other side of that column, putting the Egyptian, advancing Egyptian army in, in a place where they didn't know where they were. And then when the sun came up the next day, they looked at the walls of water and said, uh-oh. <laughs> and God allowed those waters to come crashing in. And the children of Israel were safely delivered through the water. You'll, you'll hear in the scriptures Moses' baptism. They're, they're, they've been baptized. This baptism of Moses is what they didn't have any faith. They're fearful, and we'll see that as we, the story advances through these uh, next chapters. The children of Israel had very little faith. It was Moses' faith, Moses' faith that they're riding on right now, and Moses has led them, obviously God's miraculous deliverance, but Moses has led them across the Red Sea. They look back, and they see the Egyptian army dead. We'll see that in the song. And they begin to praise God for his awesome power. So this is a, a really great uh, a, uh, a story, a song that we're going to be reading about. Now, the wonderful thing about the story, one more thought here before we get into the message, is that all of this was told to Abraham. This, is, Abraham was, this was revealed, foretold to Abraham hundreds of years before the event, I draw your attention to the screen, Genesis 15. Then God said to Abram, know, certain, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve will, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. This is the foretelling of what would happen to the children of Israel, and now they've been delivered. 
And so God has, has completely redeemed, completely delivered uh, these people. That's the story here. And so they're singing this song of affirmation. They're singing a song of praise to God. And Moses is the writer of this song. He wrote Psalm 90. You can read that in your leisure or, or Deuteronomy 32. There are two other songs that Moses wrote. Now, this song, the mood of the song is triumph. The mood of the song is victory. We have victory in our Lord. And so, again, it's a, it's a great, great uh, song here. I'm going to begin with this uh, verse 1 in my first point here, the Lord our Redeemer. Let's read these first six verses of chapter 15. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. And can you hear this? They're just, ah, God is so good. He just wiped them out. I, I love their description. Verse 6, your right hand, O Yahweh, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. Now, again, this is the people's response to God's wonderful and miraculous work in delivering and redeeming them, and they know it. They're on the other side of the, the uh, Red Sea there. They've seen the power of God, and now they're singing this glorious song. And notice in verse 2, it does not say the Lord gives me strength, but the Lord is my strength. It's the Lord. They give praise and honor to the Lord. I love this truth. Uh, wherever you see that Lord, and it's all capitals, this is the way the Hebrews express the name of God. They wouldn't add consonants. It's, it's uh, Yahweh or Yehovah. That's, or now it's Jehovah. But it's Yehovah or Yahweh is who he's talking about here. The word means existing one. And the, again, the Hebrews wouldn't say the name of God. But he's the existing one. And, and 11 times we see Lord or Yahweh. And over 30 times in this, this song here, there are these personal pronouns that, that refer to God. This song is all about God. This is a worship song to the max. I wish I knew the, the melody to it. We could sing it together. But, but we have the words. We have the lyric. But I love the fact that the Lord is my strength there in verse 2. And then at the end of verse 2, he has become my salvation, the, the personal uh, aspect of salvation for the people. And by the way, that's always true. That was true then. It's true right now today because you can't save yourself. Only God can save you. God is your salvation. You are not your salvation. You didn't find God. He came to you. He saved you. It was his work that delivered you. The is children of Israel, again, this story was written so that we could learn. And it was recorded so we could read it and see how great our God is and go back and reference uh, what God did for his 
people. But it's God alone who becomes our salvation. And so Moses now, in the song, is acknowledging that God alone has won the battle. That God has, uh, or God, the Lord, Yahweh, is the source of power. He's the source of deliverance and redemption. And here in verse 3, Moses acknowledges God as a warrior. The Lord is his name at the end. When you think about how do you eradicate evil in any way? There's got to be a sword somewhere. And God one day will mete out judgment on all those who will not bow. They're going to they're gonna pay. Uh, Satan and his demons have, have twisted and warped the world. Sin has twisted the mind of man. And one day it will be eradicated. How? How does God do it? Remember, if you've studied Revelation, and I know that many of you are, are people that love God's word, but when you study Revelation, Jesus comes back, and the sword comes from out of his mouth. Remember? The sword comes from out of his mouth, and he strikes down the people with the sword. So it's not Jesus holding a sword and slashing and cutting and blood flying, but he speaks from his mouth the truth, and it, it wipes out the naysayers and all those that stood against him, the book of Revelation. It's a sword. The, the, God is a warrior. He'll stand for truth and justice. And uh, I love that, that little thought there about him. The Lord is his name. I, I believe that Moses is saying this or puts this in his song purposely here because you'll remember all the way back at the beginning of Exodus when we started our study. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, the Lord demands of you. And remember, Pharaoh was like, who is the Lord? Who is that? I don't even know who you're talking about. Well, now Pharaoh knows. All of Egypt knows. There's not one person that doesn't know that the Lord is a warrior. They've endured all kinds of plagues. Many have died. And now the Lord, the warrior, is being sung as a victor, the triumph. In this song, in verse 7 through 11 here, we have the Lord alone is God. Notice here in verse 7, and in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. That was what the whole issue in, in Egypt was. They have all these gods and, and goddesses. And even today, remember the pictures, and every plague was against a specific god in Egypt. And so God has assaulted their, the Yahweh has assaulted these false gods in Egypt. And, and Moses says, in your greatness of excellence, you've overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the water were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide this spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. And then verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Do you get the sense that there's victory here? He's boasting in the Lord. He's, he's talking of the Lord's power and his ability. And surely... All the Egyptians now know that Yahweh, that Jehovah is the Lord. 
And the Israelites, they know that the Lord was not like any of the false gods that were in Egypt, the land that they lived, Goshen there. In each of the plague, again, God strikes out against one of the gods of uh, the false gods in Egypt. So God had told Moses, he told him back in chapter 3 that these plagues were going to happen, remember? And, and he said, no, there's many judgments and it's going to take a while because his heart is so hard. I'm, this is going to take some time. Here's the scripture here behind me on the screen, Exodus 3.19, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders. So this just really was helping Moses to understand that, Moses, this, you're going to have to go back to Pharaoh over and over and over and over because God was going to wipe out every sense of the false gods that these people worshipped. He was challenging each one and wiping each one of them out with these miracles, the plagues. Remember, the word plague means strike. And so God is striking out against these gods, these false gods of Egypt. And then look at verse 11 there. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? What a great little statement there. I love that. Who is like you, O Lord? There's a, there's a great lyric there for the, the writers in our fellowship. You're going to write a worship song. There's a great lyric. Who is like you, O Lord? There's none like you. Again, this, this wonderful, joyful boasting and victory here. And then in verse 12, we get the nations will fear the Lord. The nations. Now, this is a real interesting section here. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of their inhabitations of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. See how the nations all around now, the nations are going to fear God and fear God's people. This is all the plagues that happened. Why were there so many? Here's another reason why God did so many. He wants everyone in that area to know that he is the Lord and that these are his people there. Fear, it says in verse 16, and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone Tell your people pass over, O Lord. Tell the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountains of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. This is just, a, again, the people just saying, oh, Lord, you're so good. You're so powerful. Uh, Moses writing this song. I can just, uh, you know, you can almost imagine all these people singing this song. They're quoting this song. They're, they're excited about their God and all that he's done. Verse 14 says the people will, will hear and be afraid. All the surrounding nations of Canaan, uh, Philistia, Remember, he didn't send them straight north. He could have sent them straight north, but he said no, because those people are a people of war. But now, all those people that would challenge the children of Israel, they've been threatened 
by the stories of and the truth of all that God has done. So all the nations surrounding there, they fear when they hear about what God has done. And, and the best example of that, let me give you an example. Forty years after this, it's Jericho. Remember the, the first battle of the children of Israel in Jericho. And remember there was a harlot that lived there. Remember her name? Rahab, the harlot. What did she tell the Israelite spies? Remember, the, she, she takes them in because they're going to get found out and killed. They're in there spying on Jericho to find out how they can, you know, infiltrate the walls. And uh, Rahab takes them under her wing. And in Joshua 2, verse 10, this is what she says. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt. We know, we know, and we fear. Everybody in the area knew. Even the people in Jericho knew. The people of Canaan knew that what God had done for his people. And they all fear Yahweh. They fear the Lord. And then... This next stanza of the song, this, this is, these are different stanzas of the song that I've tried to break this down, and it's kind of hard because I don't, uh, there's no music to it. I kind of think that way as a musician. But, the, but I love the way he ends this here, and I've titled it, The Lord Reigns Forever. Look at verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now, this would be the chorus that you repeat and you repeat and you play again, and the cymbals and the bass guitar and the drummer's pounding away, and the people are, are coming to a crescendo. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord shall reign. I mean, I, I can just see it right now. The people, are they're all, they're all excited about their God and how he's triumphed. And this song is a song of victory. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. And what a wonderful truth. One day, we're going to sing it. We're actually going to sing this song. Let me show you here. I love this. I love it when I study and I find these cool things. In Revelation 15, verse 3, notice this verse. They sing the song of Moses. What was the song of Moses? We're studying it tonight right here in chapter 15. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb. That would be the song that we know, the song of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of servants. Redemption is what's pictured, deliverance of the children of Israel from sin, Egypt. They're taken out of Egypt. They're delivered from sin for God's use. Jesus, the Lamb of God, delivered us from sin, delivered you from bondage. I mean, the stories that we could tell tonight about your bondage. And Jesus has broken that bondage because the Lamb died, the blood was shed, Jesus. And we, we, we're going to sing this victory song, Revelation 15, 3. And so what a beautiful song. This, this is a worship song. The people of God, they're praising God, they're thanking God for all of the things that he's done. And I, I love this. All throughout the history, this song, should, should we should read it, we should understand it. We're going to sing a similar song uh, as we're told there in Revelation. And then verse 19, it summarizes the song that's been sung in the past 18 verses. Look at verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. 
And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land. They're, they're boasting, you know. Pharaoh and all his men, those mighty men, the chariots, the horses, they went into the sea, but we went out on dry land. I mean, this is a song of victory. This is a song of triumph here. And then it's in verse 20 that we have Miriam. Miriam and the women sing and they dance here. Miriam, again, is Moses and Aaron's sister. And as far as we know, they only had one sister, Miriam, here. And she's called a prophetess, kind of interesting, meaning that she's doing some kind of spiritual ministry. And I, I believe it was leading the women because she's leading the women here singing. There's no other mention of her prophetic ministry anywhere else in the Bible. So I, I believe this is what Moses is saying. You know, my sister, I, was, I wrote this song and we're singing as a nation. And then my sister goes off with all the women and they, they're dancing and, and she's got a timbrel. That's, that'd be like a tambourine. They're, they've got some kind of rhythm section going and they're worshiping God uh, with this song. It says here in verse 20, Then Miriam the prophetess and sister of Aaron took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider has been thrown into the sea. Same thing that her brother wrote. Very interesting and, and celebratory here. Now, I've said this, I think th this is the third week in a row that I said this, to, referred back to Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, because Paul there tells us that these things were all recorded and happened for our benefit, for our instruction, so that we would learn. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. You can read the first 10 verses of that section. But all of these things were written down for our instruction. Here's what it says in verse 11 of that chapter. Now, all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So all of these things have been recorded. We're supposed to read this story and get stoked. We're not supposed to just read it and go, okay, you know, pass the coffee, the peanuts or whatever. We're supposed to read this and go, wow, God, you're so awesome. Look at your power here. That's why I think it's really important to, when you read the Bible, when you interpret the Bible, let the Bible interpret itself. Like I've taken you to Corinthians, I've taken you to Hebrews chapter 11. We've looked at different sections of the Bible that all corroborate the miracles of God. These are not natural things that just the wind blew and the, the, the Nile River turned red. It wasn't real blood. It was just red with the earth that came down. And then because that killed the fish, there were a lot of flies. And no, these are all miraculous things that God did. I believe that. How do you explain the Red Sea in walls of water, in walls, not just kind of blown, you know, the wind just came down and blew the reed sea, the little reed sea. And how do you, you know, explain the death of all the chariot men and the captains of Pharaoh's army, 600 men? You know, these are all miraculous events, and they were written and recorded for our instruction so that we would understand everything about our future redemption. God redeemed his people when they could not redeem themselves. And he did it with that Passover lamb. And God has redeemed you by sending his son that's become the Passover what? Lamb, the son of God, the Passover lamb. And it's his blood 
That saves you and I. It was the blood that the Israelites spread on the doorpost and the mantle, lentil, what did I say? Whatever. And, and they, had to sp- they had to spread that on the door in order for that, that death angel to pass over. And it's by faith we believe what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. See, all these things were written for our behalf. We should get stoked on this. This isn't just history that we read and go, oh, that's kind of nice, and I could probably explain that away, or some geologist says this. Or No, this is the miraculous history that should excite us and, and, and encourage us to look at the power of our God and, and get really stoked on all the things that he's done. That's what Paul says, that these things have been written for our examples. Now, here's the application. Israel came to know God in a greater way as a result of their slavery, trials, bondage, in their disobedience, right? They came to know God in a greater way. God used all these things in their life, in their experience, in the hundreds of years that they were in bondage. God used them in their life, and like he's going to use the wilderness experience that they're now in. They're now in the wilderness. They've gone across the Red Sea. They've entered a new place. And God's going to use all of those things to help them grow. Faith for you and I as Christians comes through trials. Oh, Pastor Leo, don't tell me that. I don't want to be in trials. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to be in trials. There is nothing, anyone that tells you that's not true, they aren't reading the Bible and they're not teaching all of it. They're teaching this part and that part and they might as well tear out this chapter, right? They might as well take out part of, you know, most of the book of Exodus and not study it because these things reveal to us the truth about trials in the believer's life. God brings us through trials because he wants us to grow. And when we pass through trials, you know, you're, you're in the valley. Every, all of us have been there. Some of us are there now, when, but you're in the valley. When you come out of that valley, you should be singing songs of praise. My God brought me out. My Lord separated me from my sin, and he's delivered me. He's redeemed me. That's the time when we express joy and, and triumph and victory when we come out of those things. But we're going to go in those things. There's times that we're in the bottom, down in the valley. But the Lord, look at verse 18, one last time here before we move on. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. That, that's, that's the truth. That's the bottom line. God has a plan. God is working providentially. He's working behind the scenes. He's doing things that you'll never know on this side of eternity. When you get to the other side, you'll know. And you'll praise him all the more. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me in this place financially for so long because I would have really messed up. Thank you, Lord, for, for th- that my desire to marry this person didn't go through, but you had this other one more precious for me. Thank you, Father, for the job that I didn't get over and over, the hardship I faced because it made me more faithful. It, it put faith in me, and I, I believed you more, and I went through that hardship. You, you're, it's trials that help us. Now, beginning at verse 22, We have a change here in the text, and it's going to kind of carry us all the way to Mount Sinai. So they've sang their song, and now they're going to start trekking through the desert. They've been delivered. They've been redeemed. They've been saved by God's mighty hand. That's what the whole thing and the song and everything was about. 
They've had this glorious time of worship and dancing and timbrel and the women were dancing and everybody was singing and they're praising the Lord. And you'd think that for the rest of their lives, you know, when you read the story, you go, and, and they lived happily ever after, you know, like a lot of stories. But that's not the case at all. For those of you that read the, the Bible, you know that's not true because now we're going to pick up their journey and right after they go through this fantastic victory, they're going to go three days without water, three full days without water. And suddenly they come to a place that's got water in it, but the, you can't drink it. It's poisoned. They find their faith tested. And I call this the test of Mara. Look at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness. They're going out to the desert now. They're in the desert. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. That's what the word Marah means. Remember, I think it was Naomi in the book of Ruth. Don't call me Naomi, call me Marah, you know. Bitter, because I'm bitter. I, all this bad stuff's happened. So Marah, that, it just means bitter there. Therefore, the name of the place is called Bitter or Marah. Now, from this point on, through the book of Exodus, really important to, to understand this, there's all these events that are going to happen. We're going to see a couple of them tonight, and then as we move into 16 and 17, we'll see more uh, of these events that happen to the, the children of Israel as they wander into the desert, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai where God is going to give him his law. And that's where he creates his nation, his people. He gives them the laws that no other nation has. They're his people. He's going to tell them how he wants them to respond to him and respond to one another, the Ten Commandments. But they're on their way there to Sinai in this trek. And they're going to go through these series of testings here in this first year that they wander in the wilderness. They're going to really endure some intense trials. The first one is this, water. They don't have any water to drink. Three days without water. Can you imagine, Mom, you got a baby. You're carrying a baby. Three days. You're going to start complaining, right? I know some of you would complain in one hour, but three days. They, they have no water. And then chapter 16, next week we'll see this. There's, they don't have any food. There's no food to eat. So they start with this first test. It's all about no water. Again, when you think about God's redemption and the way he's, he's preserving his people, he's taking, taking them out of the bondage, slavery, sin, and he's delivered them, you'd think that he'd put them in a place where they had all the water and all the food they, they could use, but that's not the case at all. They're going to go through this, these shortages of water and of food, so you kind of wonder what's going on. Here's what's going on. And, and those of you that have been Christians more than a, a day know this. God refines you through trials. I know I've already said that, but it's really important for you to learn that as a young believer, that God uses trials to refine his children over and over and over again. He's refining. He's doing something. Here, in this story, he's, he's creating his own nation, a people. And he needs to get to them. He needs to talk to them. And he needs to help them understand that he wants them to be different and independent of all this sin and the idolatry of the Egyptians he's brought them away from. He wants them to be different than the nations around. He's making a holy people for himself. 
So he starts where he starts with every Christian in a dry and thirsty land. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been dry and thirsty? You, you read the Bible, you're excited, God redeemed you, you're saved, it's so great, and then boom, reality. Lord, what is going on? What, what? I, I got saved. My husband, who's not saved, should be happy. I, I know the Lord now. And, man, it's just tension and fighting and fighting. Oh, I got saved, and, and God's going to protect me forever. And my pastor, I go to this church, and they told me that as long as I have faith, I'll have money, 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 which is a lie, by the way, right? I'll never get sick again. Oh, I want that Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The reality is that God will allow you to go through trials and testing. And he doesn't tempt you with evil. Remember James. He never tempts you with evil. But you'll be tested. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he's not going to test you beyond your limit. But boy, how many, like me, have been to that limit, almost to the limit? I've been in the oven. The temperature's all the way up. I can't stand it anymore. Have you been there before? I think I was there last week again. But God is working. He's refining. He wants us to yield. He wants us to, to be faithful. And he's growing us. He's, that's what he's doing. And he's going to do that very same thing here with his people. He wants to mold his people. And he does that by leading them into a dry wilderness. Why? So that they'll depend on him alone. So they won't depend on their water source. They won't depend on their heating source. They won't depend on their ability to make money or that they'll depend on him alone. I love that truth. It's, it's a hard truth to teach and it's a hard truth to learn. But I find myself in that place over and over again. Maybe I need to grow in my faith. I, I, I don't doubt it. I need to grow in my faith, and God will do that in all of our lives to help us to grow until we yield to him completely. Hebrews 12, verse 6 is another one of those challenging verses. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But not only does he chasten us, do you see that other word there? What is it? Do you know what that means? You know what scourging means? Whip pain. God loves you so much that he wants to shape and mold you. And because you've always got your hand in the cookie jar, I told you not to put your hand in there, you're going to get slapped. God is going to allow pain in your life to treat, uh, to train you and instruct you. Now, you can back away from it and not, and be obedient to the Lord and not have all that pain, but because he loves you. It's because God loves you. He scourges every son whom he receives. Without that, we'd be do every, doing everything our way, prideful, hands over, fists clenched you know, like Olympics. You know, I did it, I did it, look at me. Instead of saying, like they did in this song, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my salvation, the Lord did it all. You see the difference? And so he's shaping his people. He's, he's helping them to understand. Listen, the Bible says that you, as a saved person are a trophy of his grace. You're not a trophy of your grace. Do you see how I save myself? Do you see how I'm obedient to God all the time? No. You're a trophy of his grace. 
It's his grace and his kindness and his forgiveness in your life, and you become a trophy of God's saving grace. And so here we have these people with that in mind. They come three days from the Red Sea. Moses had led them in another place. So they're thinking, who's the leader of this band? Two million people out in the middle of the desert at this time, and they're at a place where they can't even drink the water. Notice their faithless response, verse 24, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now that word complained, you're going to see that word. We'll see it in the form of murmuring. We'll see it in the term grumbling. As you read through this story for the, you know, all the way through the, and into Numbers, read the book of Numbers, grumbling, complaining. The book of Numbers is the, the book of complainings and, and murmuring. That's, that's what the book of Numbers really is all about, a lot of complaining from these people. And they're complaining now about Moses, but they're really not complaining only about Moses because Moses is the leader that who chose? God. And so they're complaining. Their complaints are really against God. Children of God, saints of God, brothers and sisters in Christ tonight, we need to be really, really careful when it comes to blaming because it's God that gave us that husband. It's God that gave us that pastor. It's God that gave us that person that we're supposed to, that leads us. It's God. These people are complaining about Moses here, but they're really complaining against God. And again, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that these things were written for our example. We're supposed to learn from their mistakes. There's some negative things that happen here. We're supposed to learn what not to do. We're supposed to learn how to walk by faith. Let me just ask this question. How is your faith doing? How are you doing with your faith? Are you faithful? When you go through a real tough situation, and it reveals your weakness. <coughs> when you go through something really hard and it reveals your weakness, what do you do? Do you go back to the word of God? It's the word of God that increases your faith. It's the word of God is trusting the Lord. It makes us more faithful. We all need to trust the Lord more. We need to be faithful and not faithless like these Israelites here in the story. And here in the last couple of verses here, we get God's merciful answer. Because they've just said, they just accused Moses of, where have you led us here? So he cried out to the Lord. So Moses goes and he prays. And the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there, God tested the people. So God tests the people. They complain. Moses prays. And then God throws this tree in. There's a lot of people that see the tree and the cross of Christ. I, I don't see that as much, but it's, it's kind of a neat little thought. But the tree is thrown in. The water is made. Then Moses builds a statue to honor God. The people, are, they feel real close to God here at this place that once, once bitter water, but now is made pure, and they can drink it. Again, this is what I see when I read just that one little verse there. It's, it's fascinating, but what I see there is uh, there's no word of rebuke. There's, God doesn't say, okay, you stiff-necked people, I'll give you this, but this is the last time, you know. 
This is God in his kindness and God in his grace. There's no reprimand. Just a gracious answer. Uh, Moses, there's a tree over there. Just throw that tree in the water. Everything will be fine. And Moses, by faith, had to respond in prayer. He asked, and now he has to respond in faith. He does it. And very interesting, too. Think about the very first plague that God brought up against the Egyptians. What was it? The water turned to what? It, it, he, God made the water undrinkable for the Egyptians. And here the water was undrinkable when they got there, but God makes it what? Makes it drinkable. Kind of interesting, isn't that? I mean, again, I love the way the scripture kind of fits together. The first miracle in the wilderness is to make this undrinkable desert water drinkable again. God is teaching his people. He's brought them to a test, and he doesn't reprimand them, but he, he brings them to this place, and he graciously loves them. He doesn't speak bad about them. He doesn't accuse them at all, but his kindness, his grace. And then God warns them here, verse 26, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought to the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. It's so a beautiful place of testing. God has brought them to this bitter water, this Mara, to test the people. And so what do they gain from it? Even if they complain, they've done it wrong, but now they've experienced that, and they've experienced the grace of God. They've ex- experienced the instruction of God. They're learning now. They're just starting, but they're learning to walk by faith. They're learning to walk by trust. There's going to be a lot of tests ahead of them. <laughs> We're going to read about them. But one of the other things they've learned is they've called him Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah. But now he's given them this new name, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. They're going to need that as they go through the the desert. And God, at this place of bitterness, gives him a time of refreshing. And God does that in our lives, doesn't he? You go through a trial, you go through a difficulty, you go through a test, and God refreshes you. And that's how I know, you know, as a, as a believer over the years, I know that God is, is there because he gives me times of refreshing. And then whether it's me stumbling back into sin or, or you struggling with something, a temptation, you know, you go through it, you get tested, and, and the more faithful you are as you grow in age and maturity in God's word and faith and trusting him, uh, those tests, I believe, come less and less, and you become sweeter and sweeter, more and more like Jesus Christ. And then here in this last verse, we see God's provision. Look at verse 27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. That word Elim means trees, terebinth or palm trees. Again, There's an interesting number in the Bible, throughout the Bible, 12 wells, 12 tribes, 70 palms, 70 elders. Moses is trying to help us understand it was everything that people needed. They go to this oasis. They left Mara, and they go to this oasis that was completely perfect. It had all the water they needed. It had the shade that they would also need as well. 
God completely provides for his people. He delivered them by his grace through the Red Sea. They sang this glorious song. He's thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. He's triumphed victoriously. He's a warrior. He's our God. He's, he's our deliverer. Again and again in that song, he's preserved them. And one other thing that I, I want to mention before we end tonight God didn't allow these people to stay by the sea. He could have left them right there. They crossed the sea and they could have just stayed there. But God is going to take them through these experiences because he wants them to learn. He leads them into the desert. He wants them to be thirsty. He wants them to, to their faith to be tested because he wants them to grow. He knows that that's what it takes. And the same thing works for you and I today. These different things we go through. When you're thirsty, when you're thirsty, when, when spiritually you're, you're dry and you're thirsty, Jesus says this. Look at this verse. I'm going to end with this tonight. It's on the last day, that great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For you and I as believers, it's all about Jesus Christ. This story is written for our example so that we will rejoice over our redemption, over being delivered from sin. And if you're thirsty, you need to come to Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to come to him. And for those of you that are going through it tonight, you need to come to him and drink, and he'll refresh you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight and ask God that you would Bless those that we prayed for earlier, that you, God, would restore and refresh those that are here tonight going through a difficult time. We thank you for forgiving us, Lord, even for our faithlessness. Thank you for your grace, Lord, that we would be a people that trust in your word alone that believe that you will bring us through the trial, the hardship, the difficulty, and that you have a purpose in that trial. And Lord, that we as your people would worship you, that we would thank you like these Israelites that worshiped after they got delivered through the sea. Lord, that we would thank you and praise you and we do that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.